25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to. They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the west right tight. That's left. 372 Y sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Hey, what's up? I'm here. I told you I would be. <laughs> Welcome into the show. Live in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau. Go! With the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Local agents, competitive rates, fast and friendly service. At Farm Bureau. Deal with somebody face-to-face, one-on-one. And that's really, that's really what you want in uh, dealing with insurance or anything for that matter, but certainly they do it the way that you would prefer at Farm Bureau. Also, as is uh, as apropos today as it is at any point in time, I'm connected to you because of ceasefire, literally and figuratively in this scenario, connected because of ceasefire, which is the number one network in Mississippi. Ceasefire, hands down, they are customer-inspired. When the internet is having issues, Ceasefire's network is not. Thank the good Lord. And I'm able to be with you today on the show because of my Ceasefire phone. And right now I've got it held up to my face, and that's how we're broadcasting to the masses. We're not one at a time in here, we're mass communicating. I want to remind you about the buy one, get one offer at Ceasefire. Right now, if you want to own the latest and greatest smartphone for a limited time, if you buy a top smartphone from Ceasefire, you get one free. So you get the best experience on the best network. Now you get twice the nationwide LTE Ceasefire, customer inspired. Again, go get the top smartphone, they give you another one just like it. You cannot beat that deal anywhere. Give Ceasefire a chance, you'll be glad you did. Uh, coming up in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to chat with. Chase Parham from rebelgrove.com and one of the hosts of the Oxford Exxon podcast. Uh, Chase, kind enough to jump on with us. I think he's headed out to go enjoy a little family time, but talk a little baseball. Ole Miss is at Auburn, and uh, he's also seen Arkansas this year. He can maybe give us a little bit of a scouting report on them. State going to play them tonight. He had a full slate of baseball games. He was supposed to, anyway, around the SEC, but uh, Alabama over in Tuscaloosa is hosting Vanderbilt. And I think this weather system that's coming through here tonight uh, moved that. So they're not going to start that series in Tuscaloosa until tomorrow. Uh, all the rest of the SEC begins tonight. And then we uh, look ahead at those big series. And in terms of highly ranked teams, you've got two top 15 teams. Mississippi State ranked third in D1 baseball at 12th ranked Arkansas. And then you have 21st-ranked Missouri at 5th-ranked Georgia. So 
but you have other ranked teams. It's not another playing each other uh, around the SEC. You mentioned to you earlier, Tennessee and D1 baseball jumped back into the top 25. They are at Kentucky, and Kentucky is a team that um, was able to somehow, it, it, albeit in two seven-inning games, scratch out a series win in Oxford uh, last week. So, plenty to get into. And just a tease, if you're just tuning in, again, the show may sound a little different than it normally does, uh, but because of C Spire, a great Mississippi company, able to continue on here today on a Thursday. And later today, we're going to chat with Joe Moorhead, head football coach, Mississippi State. Right now, on the Divinity Equipment phone, I got Chase Parham, ready to talk a little baseball. Chase, appreciate you hanging in. I know you, you probably think it's a a third-rate operation. It's the second time in recent weeks where I had you on the show, and doggone if uh, my signal didn't drop out, and I'm doing the show via cell phone. But I appreciate you being flexible and talking a little baseball with me today. appreciate it. You do. Okay. All right. Chase, uh, Matt Wyatt here. Appreciate a little bit of your time. I want to jump right in with you and talk a little Auburn and uh, Ole Miss. You know, it's uh, an Auburn team that at one time they – it started hot. I know they've cooled off. Uh, some of the polls have them out right now, but it's at Auburn. I would think, too, and you can certainly speak to this, but I would think that this is a really hungry Ole Miss team going into this series this weekend. What do you think? I'm sorry, Roger. I'm, I'm unable to hear Chase right now at the moment. Um, I'm not sure if if um, if he can hear me, but I'm unable to hear him. Um at the moment. We'll keep working on that. Uh, let me recap here for you again these series. As you, as I mentioned, you've got six of the seven series in the SEC beginning tonight. They were all scheduled in the SEC to begin tonight, but you have this weather system that's going to bring a lot of what could be dangerous weather here in the state of Mississippi later today and into the night. Uh, it's going to make its way, obviously, into Alabama, moving east. And so because of that, uh, one of those got pushed back. That's Vanderbilt at Alabama in Tuscaloosa. They were scheduled to begin that one tonight. Game one will not be until tomorrow. Uh, around the rest of the league, you have Mississippi State visiting Arkansas. You have Ole Miss visiting Auburn. Uh, all those starting tonight. You have on Thursday night. You have Texas A&M at South Carolina. Um, over in the East, so you got Florida visiting LSU. That one is televised tonight on the SEC Network. I mentioned the Tennessee at Kentucky series. And then, of course, you have uh, 21st Missouri at fifth-ranked Georgia. Game times on those coming up. Let's try real quick and see if if Chase uh, can hear me now on the uh, Divinity Equipment phone. Divinity Equipment, Madison, and in Jackson. Uh, scheduled to talk with Chase Parm, rebelgrove.com, one of the hosts of the Oxford Exxon podcast. Chase, I know you're out and about today. Are you able to hear me okay? Yeah, I got you now, Matt. You got about halfway through that question, and it just uh, it, it went dark on him. <laughs> I understand. Appreciate you hanging in there and being flexible and trying to chat with me here a little bit on the radio. I would think Ole Miss is a hungry baseball team after what happened last week as they traveled to Auburn. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think hungry is probably a good way to put it, but you know, a lot of it is just they got to find a way to hit left-handers. Like going into last week, or actually going into this week, they were only 250 in SEC play against left-handed pitching. Kentucky really shut them down over the course of that uh, that Sunday doubleheader loss. Ole Miss, uh, as a program, it's one of the things 
really struggled in Sunday. They're four and ten in uh, in doubleheader games that have been seven innings, including open eight in the NCC. Have not found a way to uh, whether it's quick starts or, or pitching matchups or whatever it is. They really struggle with that. We handed their Ole Miss on Tuesday. Ole Miss only had three hits in the game. Now they're all playing, so they did find a way to win the game. They won five two over the Tigers, but two minutes. Just Auburn. They're going to see a lefty tonight. They're going to see a lefty on Saturday, and they're going to see Tanner Burns in the middle. So I think for Ole Miss tonight is just huge because Will Will Etheridge really needs to win that game. They really need to find a way to be one and zero in that series before they get Mr. Burns tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, that's exa- I agree. You run into good pitching when you play Auburn, but it's an Ole Miss offense that you know. You look at the way they play on the road at Arkansas. You look at the way they just attacked Florida um, pitching. Chase, is there maybe an element with this Ole Miss team to this point of kind of playing up and down according to their competition game in and game out? Yeah, I think you look at what they've done in the nine league. They look, you know, they've lost six non-conference games, a couple of those to teams that they, they should not have lost to. They've they just sort of struggled with consistency, you know, and that happens to a lot of teams. That's, that's not uncommon. That's not something that only happens to Ole Miss. But they just had a hard time putting things together. And I think some of that comes from the fact that they rely on extra base hits so much. Sounds like we might have actually lost Chase right there. Um, that, that lose you, Matt? Yeah, okay, I got you now. Um, okay. Continue right along, Chase. We got you back. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, no, I was just saying, you know, Greg Kessler's been incredibly hot, but for Ole Miss, they've got to find a way to kind of manufacture without all the extra base hits. They've got to find a way to be efficient one through nine in that lineup, and when they are, they're incredibly dangerous, but I think at times, they rely a little too much on the bloop and the blast. They have a hard time kind of stringing innings together, and, and that's putting them against good pitching, because they, they've had a rotating Sunday starter a little bit, and they've just, you know, there's a few things that's kind of kept them from taking that next step, but if you look at it, they're nine and six at the break, and that's pretty good in the SEC. That's the third best record under Mike Bianco. He's been ten and five a couple times. He's been eleven and four once, but nine and six. You double that up. That's eighteen and twelve, and that's a host spot when the when the season's over. Yeah, when it is. Chase Parham on the radio. Chase is one of the hosts of the Oxford Exxon podcast, and he's with RebelGrove dot com. And and really, you know, I think around the country, Chase last year was a great example of this that. Um, it, it really everything should be and really is in terms of importance about getting in a position and then playing your best baseball in that NCAA tournament, you know, and as good as Ole Miss was last year in the regular season, they set themselves up perfectly and they got to host, which everybody wants to host, but ultimately it does come down to that. And I was talking with Parrish, I say that because I was talking with Parrish Alford and he mentioned that he's always felt like pitching is what is required to make those postseason runs. Do you agree with that? And, and if Ole Miss doesn't have that dominant pitching, you know, one through four that you got to have in the postseason, do they have the offense, do you think, to overcome that? Yeah, I, I don't know that necessarily it's, it's one ingredient. I mean, you have to have pitching because everybody has to have pitching. But for Ole Miss, when I look at what they don't have, it is it is the offense that has to be consistent and, and, and beat all competition that I think was is the key to their run. Because 
I do think Will Etheridge is good enough to win opening games of, of regionals and super regionals. Doug McKenzie has been pretty consistent as a freshman. He's only going to get better. The question is, when they get into that, that, that championship game, when they get into maybe an if-necessary game, should they get into the loser's bracket? That's where the offense just has to win games. To me, that's where the offense has to take over, find a way to win a game 12-5, 12-6, and, and just sort of move on. So that's the key for Ole Miss. You know, they're still putting this lineup together a little bit, even though they are so deep into the season and we're past the, the SEC halfway point. And they're also having to do a little bit of an injury. Ryan Olenek missed Tuesday's game with a hip injury. He traveled to Auburn this week. He's active, but I don't know that he's going to play. If he's not playing, you're talking about a guy hitting 360 in league play. And uh, with him out, they're turning over to Josh Hall, a freshman from Alabama that's had one career start. So that's huge for Ole Miss, not just for this weekend, but as we talk about the postseason and get closer to it, Ryan Olenek has to be healthy because he is the catalyst for this offense. Yeah. How close is he? What are we looking at in terms of getting him back? He had done nothing baseball-related since Sunday. He, he was having a hard time, frankly, walking even on Tuesday. Sorry, my three-year-old is talking in the background. Um, even, <laughs> no problem. Uh, on Monday, he had not even done anything baseball-related. So I, my guess is that if he does play this weekend, he's not 100%, but they, they're trying to move him along. because It's running that risk, you know, where they did this with Will Etheridge, too, when he had the blister on his hand. You've got to play him if he's healthy, but you can't do anything to further impact his recovery because you need him later a lot more than you need him now. But if you told me he either doesn't play tonight or if he does play, he's uh, he's, he's very slow at it. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I know that's one thing that all Ole Miss fans are kind of like, you know, um, pardon the pun, but on this Friday and East, all Easter weekend, just praying for a link to heal up. You know, we got a lot of other things to pray for, too, but that's on the list uh, because he's so important, such a good player. Is there an element, too, uh, I know he's injured right now, but do you think there's an element of maybe around college baseball, around the SEC, that Olenek and how good he is is a little underappreciated for whatever reason? I mean, he's got power hitters around him, dealing with those guys hitting home runs, but there's other guys in the league, and we all talk about Mangum. Do you think – that overall maybe Olenek is a little bit underappreciated right now around the league in terms of fan, other fan bases of other teams? Yeah, he's, he's not the guy that other fan bases are going to know for the most part. They're going to talk about Dillard and Kessinger and some of those guys. And what, what he does for Ole Miss, maybe even he's a little undervalued Ole Miss fans because he can play anywhere. He's been playing center field, but he can play second base. He can play right field. He can play shortstop. He can he can do anything. He can actually catch even if he was uh, demanded to on, on the field. So, he plays all nine positions. They, frankly, haven't gotten as much out of him on the mound as I think he's capable of. I think he could give them really meaningful innings as a relief pitcher. And he's just sort of their spark plug, too. He, he brings all the energy. He's the guy that kind of gets them going. He, he's one of the more vocal guys, and he's incredibly experienced. I think some of it, though, is we, even in college baseball, we trend so much more to the prospects. You know, and Mangum's a little bit of the exception to this, too. But he's not going to be a first-round pick. He might not even be a top-five-round pick or a top-ten-round pick, but he is a heck of a college baseball player, and that's that's what teams need for these kind of runs and to have, you know, consistent seasons. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's definitely what they need. Hey, so a couple things. I wanted to look ahead with you. Um, one, you've seen Arkansas this year. Ole Miss goes to Fayetteville, takes two out of three. Mississippi State is up there um, starting tonight. What's kind of an overall scouting report of that Arkansas team? Like, how good are they? You know, they're still really good. They're not last season. They're probably, unless they get incredibly high, they're not a national title contender, if you will. 
because, you know, last year they kind of had some, some ability to kind of outpitch you, and it's all about the offense for them right now. They just, they're so good there with Martin and Jerstead, Martin and Jerstead and those guys where they're going to try to bang you around. They're going to try to pitch enough. Um, they're, they're not going to walk a lot of people. They're not going to make a lot of mistakes. And then they just look for the big inning. They're a lot like Ole Miss where they can put that four or five spot on you and you kind of look up and you lose a game five, two, where you held them scoreless for maybe six innings, seven innings, but then you still lost the baseball game. So, I think they're finding themselves. I think they've got a lot of young leaders. Because, you know, the difference them in Ole Miss a little bit is Ole Miss has got all those juniors that are draft eligible. And whether they try to or not, they are probably got an eye ahead a little bit. You're probably looking toward that. I think Arkansas is dangerous because they got a bunch of sophomores. It's, it's always the mm-hmm. team with the sophomores in the class that I think, hey, they've got experience, but they're not dealing with all the other noise at this point. Um, so I, I think they could get better as it goes on. I think they could be a sleeper to make a little bit of a run, even though they're not as good as last year. And, you know, you mentioned Mississippi State. I think this is this is such a critical juncture for them coming up because they've got Ole Miss, they've got A&M, they've got Georgia, and they've got Arkansas over a four-week span. Three of those series are away from home. The Bulldogs are 15-10. and 10. They're in great shape, but that thing could get away from me. So I'm really intrigued to see kind of how they handle these next 12 games prior to closing at home against the South Carolina team that's way underachieving and, frankly, hasn't played very good baseball. Sure. And, and last thing, Chase. You know, after this weekend, we're all looking ahead Tuesday when you're going to have the Governor's Cup game between Ole Miss and State at Trustmark Park in Pearl. You know, recent years, State's kind of had the best of that that game every year. You know, I think maybe the last three, four out of the last five. There was a period of time in the early 2000s where Ole Miss dominated it for five or six straight years, kind of going back and forth. Um, What's the importance level of that game? You've covered it before when those two go neutral side to get both fan bases in the stadium, kind of what's the importance level of that game when they meet next Tuesday night? You know, year over year, I don't, there's some years where I don't necessarily think it's of a big importance other than bragging rights and a really cool venue and a really cool atmosphere with the two programs. But I think Tuesday is very critical for Ole Miss, maybe more than Mississippi State. I think State's put a really good overall resume together. Ole Miss, as I mentioned, had already lost six non-conference games. They don't need to lose a seven. You kind of want to be around that 20-6 and six mark for hosting purposes in the non-league. So I think it's a big game for Ole Miss. And then it's also a big game because they may have found a midweek starter. They moved Zach Phillips from the rotation to the midweek. He did a great job a couple weeks ago against Southern Miss to kind of keep him in the game until the offense took over. He, uh, he shut down Memphis on, uh, on Tuesday night. So he's probably going to get the ball. He's a left-hander. He really has been trying to work a slider and a cut fastball into the repertoire a little bit. So, sounds like we might have actually lost Chase there right at the end. Um, really do appreciate Chase Parham. We're kind of at the end of our, our time anyway. Uh, but really do appreciate Chase uh, joining us for the baseball talk today, talking old Miss. So two or three things that are major takeaways for just tuning in there. Uh, number one is, you know, it's an Ole Miss team that is probably good and fired up to go win a series after the way things fell last weekend at home against Kentucky. You're forced to play two seven-inning games on the same day. Uh, so shortened, it didn't kind of feel the same as a normal series. And Kentucky got the series upset winning those two seven-inning games. And Ole Miss has been a good team on the road. They played well on the road at, well, at times. And, and really kind of starting with that Arkansas series a couple weeks ago. Uh, the other thing, you know, he, he gave us a quick scouting report on Arkansas, who's hosting Mississippi State this week. And um, 
it's not quite the same level of talent, not quite what you're seeing on the mound uh, this year from what that team had a year ago where they essentially are a pop-up, catching a pop-up away from winning a national championship. Uh, but it's still a really good team, and they're swinging it well. Offensively, they're at home. They'll challenge Mississippi State a little bit, but it's a series that State could uh, you know, should win. But then also looking ahead of that Governor's Cup game next Tuesday night in Pearl at Trustmark Park, um, that's a neat point that he makes. He looks at it from an Ole Miss perspective where that Ole Miss team, decent resume, but still could use some work in hosting purposes and seeding purposes. And it's a team already sitting there with six non-conference losses, regardless of you know who went where. They're not all equal. I mean, a non-conference loss to North Alabama is not the same thing as a non-conference road loss to Louisville, uh, for instance. But they don't need to get seven non-conference losses for sure. And so that midweek, it counts as a non-conference, not an SEC deal. So there's going to be some importance on it uh, come next Tuesday night, not just the normal bragging rights for that Ole Miss baseball team. I'm Matt Warner in the Farm Bureau studio. Thanks for tuning in on this Thursday. Still a little ways to go. Hang in there with me and stick around. Loud and clear for the moment. Welcome into the show. I'm Matt, live in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go! With the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Local agents that you can deal with one-to-one, get to uh, one-on-one, get to know them personally, face-to-face, and deal with somebody one-on-one when uh, insurance is needed when things pop up. Roger, um, we're going to talk with Coach Moorhead a little later in the hour. Um, It's going to, let's see, in about 20 minutes from right now, I think is when we are scheduled, in about 20 minutes from right now, when we're scheduled to chat it up with Coach Joe Moorhead a little bit uh, to finish it out this week, looking back on spring ball with him. So, uh, you got that coming up. Also, Roger, look, I failed earlier in the week to uh, hear on this show. We were talking sports, you know, it's a national news story. It was non sports. And of course, you couldn't have missed the big story in Paris uh, earlier in the week when uh, the Cathedral of Notre Dame mm-hmm. caught fire and, and burned. You know, it's a, it's been a tourist destination that the Louvre, the Eiffel Tower there in Paris has been a tourist reservation. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, destination for years and years and years. Um, 
I've, I've been there. It was in July of 2000. I was living in Germany, playing football, had a couple of weeks vacation in the middle of the year, and loaded up with some teammates, and we went all over the place. Uh, several different countries. We were gone for about two solid weeks, just seeing and visiting and seeing and visiting. It was pretty neat. Uh, and Paris was one of those places, and so, you know, it's, gosh, the truth about it is, I, it's, it's inside, just barely inside of 20 years ago, but there's so much about that trip I don't remember specifics. <laughs> I just do, I do remember going and seeing the cathedral, going into the Louvre. We went into the Louvre Museum uh, one evening right before it closed. I had about 30 minutes. <laughs> Ran through there and... Just got to take a quick look. I'm not kidding you. We ran down one hallway, ran into somebody working there, and she said, can I, can I help you? I said, which way to the Mona Lisa? And she said, <laughs> there, take a left, and then there. And we ran to make sure that we put eyeballs on the Mona Lisa to make good of our trip. We only had about 30 minutes in the Louvre. How and, big is that place? The uh, it's just, it's massive. Can you compare it to anything like on campus? Uh no, Mm-mm. it's bigger than yeah. It's a, building. It's like think of the think of the largest convention center you've ever been in. How about Not, Atlanta, underground Atlanta? Yeah, I mean it's it's comparable. I, wow. I would I would say it's comparable to that. Sure, That's a lot of square footage. It's unbelievable. It, I mean, it's hard to describe it. I've never been to that big convention center out there in Las Vegas. People always talk about it, you know, the size of it. But uh, anyway, and then uh, went to the Eiffel Tower. One of my claims to fame was that I got the best parking space you could possibly get at the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> could roll the window down and, like, reach out and touch one of the legs. I mean, it was that close. But, I wonder if you could park that close post 9-11. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. You were and, there and right see, before everything changed. Yeah, and it was also prior to the euro becoming kind of like the standard currency in so many of those countries. So in traveling in the summer of 2000, every time you'd go into a new country, you had to exchange your currency. So, right? So, like, we went to... Um, you always lose when you do that, something. Yeah, you lose something. We came back with all kind of different coins, though, all these different, you know... You had, the, you had the French francs and you know Belgian francs and and different kinds of coins and stuff. But, so it was different then. But anyway, the the point being, watching that happen, yeah, I mean, it's just sad to see something that's so old. And thankfully, that you know the kind of the guts of it may a lot of it burned, but it can be rebuilt. The main structure there, Cathedral Notre Dame, still standing because it was stone. But lots of questions about how, and of course, all that construction going on. Lots of things could have caused it. But then you alerted me to this, and I had missed it. Didn't know uh, overnight or into this morning. Um, this story at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Um, this being updated, this story at CNN was updated here this morning. So some of the details in this story updated as recently as this morning. Here as we speak, basically. A man is in custody after he tried to enter St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York last night, Wednesday night, with gallons of gasoline, lighter fluid, and lighters. 
When a security officer at the cathedral stopped the 37-year-old man, he left the church and was detained shortly afterward by counterterrorism officers. That according to New York Police Department in a news conference. He's from New Jersey. He's known to police. This guy is known to police. He spilled some of the gas as the security officer stopped him in the church and forced him to turn around. Now, then it says this. It's hard to say, quote, I'm quoting from the from Miller, the police guy. It's hard to say exactly what his intentions were, but I think the totality of circumstances of an individual walking into an iconic location like St. Patrick's Cathedral, carrying over four gallons of gasoline, two bottles of lighter fluid and lighters, is something we would have great concern over. Might involve fire somewhere. Uh, yeah, you think? This says the suspect was noticed. The lighter fluid gave it away. Yeah, is that what it was? <laughs> the gasoline I can understand. Says uh, security officers, and I've seen this myself, stationed at each entrance. They noticed him when he came through the main entrance. They said this gentleman walked in. This gentleman walked in the door, and he caught the eye right away, and he was confronted. Upon questioning him, his explanation for being in the area wasn't legit, and he was taken into custody. Um, right before Christmas, you know, family and I, we made the trip to uh, New York, stayed up there a week just before Christmas, saw the the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center and was neat and the whole thing. You know, I, I told you all about it, um, but that's one of the things we did. Which, see, St. Patrick's Cathedral is a block from Rockefeller Center. So you went you went there, too? Yes, we went there. We went inside. People are going to ask you to quit coming to their cathedrals if they keep burning <laughs> Well, I mean, it's 20 years apart. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I ain't the only one who went. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just seeing a pattern emerge. St. <laughs> Patrick's Cathedral opened its doors in 1879. Yeah, it's right... Up there, right at Rockefeller Center, like when we went, you got Radio City Music Hall just right there on the same corner, basically, with Rockefeller Center, where the Christmas tree is and all that. And and then you walk across the street and boom, there's St. Patrick's Cathedral. And it just sticks out. You know, you've obviously seen it in movies like Ghostbusters and things, but it sticks out because it is so, so like gothic and gargantuan and just looks like something out of a million years ago dropped down and smack dab in the middle of all these cookie cutter rectangular high rises you know they got these gargoyles and things on yes oh wow and it's just you can't i mean that's iconic gotham right and so so the cathedral of notre dame nearly burns to the ground and here we are, not even a week later, and a man's trying to walk into St. Patrick's in New York with two cans of gas. I mean, come on. Obviously. Hate crime. All right. Let's talk to Joe Moorhead coming up next here on the show in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around. listening to the Matt Wyatt show.
All right, here we are. And we're going to reach out to Coach Joe Moorhead, head football coach of Mississippi State. They just finished up spring practice for the Bulldogs. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Local agents, competitive rates, and folks you get to deal with one-on-one, which is the way you want to do business. Uh, Thanks for tuning in today throughout. I do appreciate it. Uh, We'll get the podcast up for you later. Even though it was a little bit of a bumpy ride at times today, everybody doing their job and pulling their weight and making it all happen, and that's how it works. It's a team game. That's the way it is. It's a team game around here. This ain't golf. (laughs) We're not one at a time we're mass communicating. Appreciate you tuning in and staying connected to you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. Joe Moorhead, football coach, Mississippi State, on your radio right now. Coach Moorhead, I really do appreciate a little time here on a Thursday heading into what's going to be a long weekend for most of us, the Easter weekend and spring practice behind you. What What do you do when spring practice is over? Is it you get a, a little bit of time off, or do you just kick right over into recruiting, or what is it? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Uh, no, right now we have uh, player ex- uh, meetings going on with the position coaches. Uh, I'll meet with all the guys individually next week, just kind of a, a post-spring wrap-up, and then head into summer. And uh, I'm busy uh, putting uh, you know a calendar together for the summer and, and heading into camp, and then recruit never stops, so we got that going on every day. Sure. Uh, what were your big takeaways getting spring practice number two behind you. What's your big takeaways with your team right now? I, I think there was a, a very positive uh, you know, step taken forward in terms of, of our understanding of, of the scheme in all three phases and not, you know, understanding it's not just about the what's, but it's about the how's and the why's. Mm-hmm. So, so taking that learning to the next step, you know, certainly on defense, you know, and, and across the whole team had to replace a lot of personality production, particularly up front. And on the back end, on the defensive side, you know, losing your whole front four and then your three primary backups inside. So have a lot of talent at those positions, you know, like the way the defense is progressing. So we got to reload there. And then the big focus on the offensive side of the ball, you know, was increasing the uh, efficiency and explosiveness of our pass game to kind of get it caught up with our run game so we can be balanced and, you know, you know do a better job throughout the season performing at a high level. So those were some of the takeaways on, on both sides of the ball. And about that passing game as it relates to Keaton Thompson, kind of with the fan base, all eyes on him. Everybody likes him. Every time he's been on the field, he gets it in the end zone a bunch. Uh, but then they'll also look for, you know, there's a big deal made out of completion percentage on message boards and stuff like that. So what what was your takeaway for Keaton and how he performed in the spring? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the big thing with KT and – uh you know, it was kind of the same situation with Nick. You know, he had been right around a 50, 55% career, a completion percentage guy, and KT's kind of right around the same number in, in limited action. But he's 2-0 as a starter. You know, he's big, he's strong, he's athletic. Uh, you know, he can make all the throws, can beat you with his feet too. And, uh, you know, I think maybe the performance in the spring game wasn't indicative of what we had seen in the 14 opportunities when people weren't there and eyes weren't there. Certainly one ideal conditions, you know, had a few misfires, had a few drops, but you know, what people are saying, I couldn't care less about. Uh, sure. So, you know, I know what I see and work with on a daily basis. There are going to be negative people in anything that you do. So, you know, they can have their opinion, but I know what my eyes see on a daily basis. Sure. Joe Moorhead, on your radio right now. You know, I'm under the firm belief that 
that continuity and, and that extra little get better in the past game that it happens in the summer and, and it's guys having to do it on their own time, QBs, receivers getting together. But I'm an old guy. You know, heck, 20 years ago, I couldn't call my teammates on a cell phone. We didn't have them, you know. Uh, is it the same way in 2019, Coach, that a, a guy like Keaton and receivers, they have to spend an inordinate amount of time together throwing on their own in these upcoming summer months? Absolutely all the guys. I think you make a very valid point that, you know, the pass game is very much about precision and timing uh, and accuracy. And there's really three things that go into it. To me, it's the protection. You know, it's the read and the throw, and then it's the route and the catch. And, and all all three phases of that got to be in sync. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you know, I think the guys, when they get together in the summer, and, and really this is the message I had to the team after spring ball, is you're kind of passing the torch to the strength staff, uh, to your captains and to your leaders, where there ain't going to be helicopter coaching and they're doing things on their on their own. I saw something online the other day. I thought it was a great quote. I think it was a, a Nebraska coach who said it. Bad teams have no leadership. Good teams are led by the coaches, and great teams are led by the players. And I think we selected excellent captains for them to take this and do it on their own in the summer. Yeah, you don't want to be reteaching once camp starts. You want to be building off of what they've done. No doubt about it. And, and so Errol Thompson, right there at linebacker, one of your captains, an Alabama kid, and he just has something about him, like the way he carries himself, the way he hits people, the way he runs around, and his body language. Um, I know I'm building him up and kind of leading into your answer there, but he just he has that look to me of the guy. Am, am I seeing it correctly? Yeah. It, to me, quarterback and your team captain should be pretty simple. When those guys walk in the room, you shouldn't have to ask if they're the quarterback or the team captain. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Errol just has a, a calm presence and confidence about him. And I almost say he's like a throwback guy. You know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. Uh, he, he demands and commands the presence of the, of the defense and of the team. Uh, he's a guy who does it right on and off the field, and certainly, you know, his production. You know, I think he may be a little underrated, to be quite honest with you. Between he, you know, Willie, Leo, Tim Washington, you know, I think we have, you know, in my biased opinion, you know, one of the best, if not the best, linebacking core in the SEC. Joe Moorhead, head football coach, Mississippi State, on your radio uh, right now. Is I know it's a long way off. I mean, heck, we're, we're in April, but we're already had you know looking ahead of the fall, and it's going to be a fall where you're gonna everybody's going to get two open dates because of the schedule. So you know, play in August, and at some point, two weekends you get off um, because of the way the calendar falls. How big a deal is that to have that extra open date in a season when the calendar works out that way? Man, it's huge, particularly playing in this conference in this division. I mean, they're, they're I say this in a kind of, there is no (laughs) figure to bye week (laughs) when you've got all these people on your schedule and you've been through it. And and it's just, you know, to have the opportunity twice in the season uh, to recharge mentally and rehab physically and kind of get your mind right and get your body right. uh, Because, you know, every single Saturday you step on the field, the margin of error is slim. So to have two chances to kind of, you know, get your legs and your mind back under you, I think that's, that's incredibly important. Was this spring what you wanted it in terms of that gel process for new coaches? Since you had a bunch of new assistants, did, did it, it progress and the, the relationships and the chemistry with coaches, that work out the way you wanted it to? It sure did. And, and obviously losing, you know, Coach Huff and Coach Baker to Alabama, Coach Gessie back to the NFL to Coach Aaron Rodgers, and then, you know, Coach Paroli to uh, 
you know, Tampa Bay Bucks would be their head strength conditioning coach. You know, you want continuity, but we lost guys to, to very, very good programs. So to me, that's a validation that you're hiring the right guys when storied programs like that are, you know, coming to get them. But it took less than 24 hours to replace most of these guys. I have my list, uh, at hand and on call. And I think we replaced guys who are, that have, have created a great personal relationship with their players. They're expert at fundamental techniques and schemes. And most importantly to me, they're, they're where their feet are at. So to me, they're excited and, and fired up about the opportunity to be at Mississippi State, compete in the SEC. You know, Coach Hughes, Coach Marv, Coach Richardson, and so on down the line. Uh, you know, I, I think we've, we've, we've done a real good job at quality people and coaches to our staff. Last question. I think it's the most important one. Are the Pirates going to win the NL Central? Man, we're short hoping. You know, I, <laughs> I, uh, I don't want to see. I'm, I don't. I try not to get my hopes up, but uh, you know, we're going to be back there the first week of July. We always go back. For, I don't know how many years it's been. I think we're like twelve and one in the last thirteen years. Oh. So we got to get there more often because they win games when we're at the ball yard. So yeah, uh, you know, I, I, there there would be nothing like they call Bucktober, which is when when the Pirates mm-hmm. are in pre or postseason. Yeah. So we'd, we'd love to see them in the postseason in October again. I can remember where I was when. Uh, when Sid Bream uh, singled in, or uh, Francisco uh, Cabrera singled yeah, in yeah. Sid Bream and Bonds didn't throw him out. I was a freshman in college, and that I broke my damn heart. <laughs> <laughs> and Skip Carey. And I'll tell you, Coach, uh, I was in high school as a Braves fan. It didn't break mine. Um, but I will tell you now, uh, uh, Adam Fraser is kind of like hometown favorite. And, and you know that being on campus. That kid – Former Bulldog, led him to the College World Series, Championship Series, uh, starting shortstop. And now all he does for the Pirates is hit. They put him at the top of the lineup, second base, left field. It doesn't matter. Adam Frazier's just going to hit the ball. So we all have that in common. I'll tell you the crazy thing. We, we had a recruiting function going on uh, over at one of the hotels here in town, and he happened to be in a wedding party. Uh-huh. We were kind of walking out. I had a chance to meet him, and I, I was – uh, we we were both kind of fired up to meet each other. He knew I was a Pirate fan, but yeah, I know he bounced up and down a little bit last year, and he's kind of found himself a position and a spot in the order now. So yeah, uh, we're going to be sure to look him up when we head back to summer. That's it, good stuff. Well, that's neat. You get to do that. I know it's um, a fun trip for you, kind of go back home. Hey, it's fun for us to get to talk to you. I know you're busy and you got spring behind you. So thanks for some time this morning, Coach. I really appreciate it. Anytime, brother. Uh, have right. a great one in Hell State. Stay. Stay safe today. Yep, you too. Everybody stay safe. Hail State to you. That's Coach Joe Moorhead on the Divinity Equipment phone line. Divinity Equipment in Madison and in Jackson, your Kubota dealer. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. It all worked out well in the end, which is the big thing. Roger, thank you so much for being flexible in the job you do. Hope everybody has a great Easter weekend, and I'll see you back live on Monday. All right? For everybody here, we'll see you then. See you. to the Matt Wyatt Show.